Thank you so much for pressing play on episode 98 of A-Sides. I'm Andy, and this time I spoke with Shane Tassert of The Hot Summers. You'll hear the stories about their new album, some of his previous stories, working with Kiss, and different things in the recording industry. It was a good conversation with Shane, although I have to admit, I made an error. I said this was going to be episode 97, and it's actually 98. So thank you for helping us reach 98 episodes. We wouldn't have gotten this far if it wasn't for people listening to us and also people wanting to speak with us on this podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode with Shane Tasser. Look, it's rock and roll. And cue music. Hello. Hey, Shane. Hey, man. Hey. How you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm doing okay. I think I might be getting a cold, uh, but I didn't want to cancel because I was excited to talk to you. So, <laughs> to start off, I wanted to uh, share something with you that, you know how microphones have like, they put like a sock on it or something? Uh-huh. I basically use your who the fuck is uh, Shane Tassert as like a microphone sock. <laughs> so <laughs> you're basically funny. a part of my podcast every episode. Well, that's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, I've man. been keeping up. I, I listened to the Josh Ketchmark one. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, it's it's just funny listening to all these, you know, all these people that have been parts of my life, and it's just funny. Everybody's like connected. Yeah, it is, and what's it's it's through me. That's what's kind of cool. It's like my brothers and him playing with my brother, and and then Denny playing with my brother that they didn't play until I played. And you know what I mean? It's like yeah. this weird six degrees of separation of Shane. It's kind of fun. Good times. Well, thanks too for actually being one of the first guests that I had when I started doing this like uh, two years ago. I think you were episode 27 and now this is going to be episode 97. So, Oh, wow. Uh, well, thank congratulations. You, that That's awesome. No, yeah. good for you, man. A lot of these don't last and you know, I saw Butch Walker listens and, or at least <laughs> listened, and you know that's that's pretty cool. I mean, you've got some cred there, but <laughs> I actually made a list, kind of a thing, at the start of the year because I had a goal. Like, I kind of gave up on it for a little bit and let Brent like take over because I guess everything uh-huh. with like the pandemic, I was kind of like down for a while. But he right. uh, he kind of picked up the slack for me. But uh, so at the start of the year, like I had a goal, like I want to do like one of these a month, and then one with Brent a month, and I'm basically on track. Like it's probably not is not like a huge goal, but I'm trying to stick with it. So. No, I mean that's awesome. I mean, there's a lot of podcasts out there, and there's a lot of people doing this. Yeah, and you you know as well as I do, most of them, you know, they either lose interest or or 
fall apart or, you know, and for you to get, you know, to where you are right now and, and you're still going, that's, that's pretty cool. I like to see local people, uh, you know, doing stuff that outside of the box. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. I feel fortunate that, yeah, like, like there are people that listen because you said there's like so many options now for podcasts or even music. Oh yeah. Every, everything. I mean, that's, I mean, we, we just released, you know, our, our album, you know, a couple of weeks ago and, and it's like, it's, it's hard to get people to listen. There's just so much out there and there's, you know, everybody and their brother has a band now and everybody's got a new record and, and there's just so much out there. It's like, it's, it's hard to break through and, and actually promote or yeah. get people to actually listen. It's, it's, it's not that they wouldn't, but it's just to get them, you know, to even know that it's available. That's, I think that's more of what the problem is anymore, you know, because there's that? just so much out there and, or it's like hard the to Facebook through. algorithms, maybe they don't even see it or something. No, oh, Facebook, you know, sucks. But yeah. whatever, <laughs> I'm over that. <laughs> I wish, I wish I could just cancel all my social media. I'm kind of over it, and maybe that's just because I'm an old man, <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't grow up with that stuff, you know, like the kids today and my yeah. son and my daughter and stuff. You know, I maybe I'm just too old. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm guilty. The first thing I do in the morning is I look at my phone. Well, I do that. I do that too. It's usually looking because I collect Kiss stuff, so I'm constantly, you know, searching for things that I don't have already. So I'm, you know, searching Mercari or I'm on all kinds of like auction apps and stuff, looking for Kiss stuff that I shouldn't be buying, and <laughs> you know, this stupid stuff. Everybody's but got a I, hobby I, though. So. Yeah, unfortunately, I got too many. You know, I collect BMX bikes and build BMX bikes and. You know, the music stuff, I collect guitars, I collect Kiss stuff. I've got a problem because <laughs> I'm not a rich man, and but I have, a, I have a very cool wife that puts up with it. So, you know, she she's like, happy, happy husband, happy life, and uh, I, I can't beat that. So, works for me. Yeah. <laughs> There's uh, something that I feel kind of silly, but I'm just going to start off saying this. So your album dropped on a Tuesday, right? I thought it was just something you guys did to be like old school because albums used to come out on Tuesdays. But then it was like a day or so later. I was like, oh, yeah, that was the first day of summer. Yeah, it so, worked out yeah. to be both, you know, because old school, you're right. I mean, I used to go down to Circuit City or Best Buy every Tuesday and I'd pick up, you know, whatever CD came out or or DVD and you know, Tuesdays were a big deal and, and it, it just kind of worked out that way. And I thought it was just so cool that, uh, we were going to drop it sooner and, uh, you know, we just fell behind a little bit, you know, with production and, you know, when you send, you can be finished with something and then you have to send it in to be mastered. And so there's always things that, you know, prolong it and, Basically, uh, it was my wife who was like, hey, you know, the f since you can't meet that deadline, you know, the first day of summer is, the, I think it was June 21st, that's technically the first day of summer. It's a Tuesday. And I was like, oh, my goodness, that, that couldn't be better. You know, that's perfect. You know, what, what better day? And 
so we we all got together our whole team got together and really pushed to make it happen because you know we were we were rushing around and there were you know we were getting messages that you know as we finally got it back from mastering and and turned it in you know to be uploaded to some of these sites they were telling us well it may not be up in time and we were all like well we got we just have to shoot for it and you know hope for the best and it worked out. It all worked out. I think that was awesome the way that it worked out with the suggestion from your wife, too. <laughs> I was just pushing to get it out because, you know, when I met Mick, you know, nine years ago, you know, it was him and Jimmy DeAnda and I, and we started, you know, the Hot Summers, and we started recording some of these songs. And a couple of them are, are on this record from way back then. But, you know, they've been you know, re-sang, replayed, you know, some of the drum parts have been changed, but, you know, it's, it's just funny that this is, I, I'd like to say, you know, I always say, oh, this has taken nine years, but, you know, we haven't worked on it for nine years solid or anything because, you know, the LDT thing happened for a few years and, you know, and then I was out, you know, of the band and we kind of had a falling out. So, you know, it hasn't been nine years straight, but it's still nine years of my life that this has been, you know, kind of hanging over us. And, you know, I'm just so glad to finally get it out. And whether people like it or not, at this point, it's like just it's almost like a like that weight lifted off my shoulders. It's just been sitting there like, when's this ever going to come out? Is it ever going to come out? And the fact that it's out and uh, so far, I mean, everybody that I've talked to and I, I haven't heard anything bad, you know? So I don't know if people are just being nice or, or it actually is okay. So I'm proud of it. And I know Mick is too, and he did a great job producing it. And, uh, you know, everything was pretty much DIY and it still is right now. We talked to some labels and so far, you know, nothing's really panned out as far as, us wanting to go that route we want to keep our masters and most of these these smaller labels they'll distribute you but you turn in your record and they basically give you a, a couple thousand dollars and they own you oh, they own your merchandise they own part of everything you know it's like a 360 deal and that's commonplace and it and it you know back in the day that that kind of made sense because they'd give you an advance but now you know literally we paid for every dime of this this to be recorded you know the time that that Mick put in you know producing everything and all that would be basically washed away and they'd give us a couple thousand dollars and they would they would pretty much own everything so so we're we're, we're doing everything ourselves and you know and, and there might be a deal coming up soon for distribution. I don't know. We just ordered uh, 300 CDs, and I actually got notification today that they are uh, being shipped. So they'll be here in the next couple of days. So we'll have product that we can actually, you know, hard copies, which I love hard copies. I, I love, you know, the read the, the liner notes and who played on what and, you know, and all that stuff. So all that, that'll be in, in there. So... Oh, cool! Because I bought it online, but I, I'd get a physical copy too for the same reason. Because I like looking at who like did all that on the album, and it was even like I think on Apple Music, it actually shows 
who like wrote each song on your album. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. I saw that some of the lyrics are up, too, and that was kind of neat. If you click a little button. I did the same yeah. thing, too. I, I have Apple Music, so I could stream it for free, but I also bought it just to have it. <laughs> so I was like, you know, I just, I'm just like that. I like to, I don't know, I'm a collector. So so I'll have the digital version, and then I'll have the, the hard version. And we'd like to do a vinyl version, but with the petroleum you know, prices where they are right now, it's the, it's ridiculous for vinyl right now, even a low run. We'd have to sell them for like $60 a piece. And, you know, I don't think that we could, you know, really sell, you know, the, the minimum we'd have to order right now. I think Josh Ketchmark was telling me the same thing because he was looking into it as well. Cause he said he thought it'd be cool to actually have something that he's uh, produced on vinyl. Right. I think we were joking that maybe he could do like a blood red and have like the kiss thing where he puts his own blood in there. <laughs> oh, that, that'd be cool. Even though that's been debunked and <laughs> they supposedly when they put the, the, their blood in the ink, it actually, the, the ink that was to be used for the comic book was somehow used for another book. <laughs> that I forgot it was like a time magazine or or something like that and they actually used that red ink for some reason I don't know if they were low or you know they just grabbed whatever was there for printing but supposedly the the blood that they had you know the vials of blood that they poured into the red ink never made it into the kiss comic at all but but I don't know that that might be folklore too but who knows I I'd almost believe that with you know, the 70s and how things were, but... I would trust you. You're a KISS guru. Yeah, I kind of like the guys, you know? <laughs> <laughs> kind of, it's just funny, because, I, I, I mean, even listening to uh, to Josh, you know, and, you know, his KISS stories, it's just, it's just funny. None of these KISS stories would have happened had they not, you know, been associated with, with me and my association with Ragman and... You know, it's just funny that everybody's got a kiss story now, and it's all like that six degrees of separation again. It's just, it's, it's pretty funny. And it's cool to hear the stories too, because we all have different ones. Because, you know, I think when Josh was working in that, that area, he was only in best of seven for a little while, but he stayed after we kind of broke up. And, uh, and that's when all that stuff happened. So, I really had nothing to do with any of that by that point. We weren't, you know, even in the same group. So, And you even shared something recently, too, where you said that your band, Wicked Jester, like Gene was going to give you guys a tryout, and it didn't, it didn't end up working out. But it's like how many people can say that they got that far? Well, it was, it was, that was pretty cool. I mean, this was probably 1989. What, what year was Hot in the Shade? I yeah, think I think it was, that was 89. Yeah. It was 89. And uh, our manager at the time that we, we had, which was a local person, and they got a call from Simmons Records saying a representative of Simmons Records called him and was like, hey, you know, Gene would like to, uh, you know, we've heard the music, we heard the name, we'd like to, you know, talk to the guys and, and uh, check them out. And we're going to be in town for blah, blah, blah. And they had a show coming up with Slaughter and Winger. 
And uh, I remember waiting. It was at the Royal D'Aubreville in Biloxi, Mississippi, right on the Gulf Coast, right there on the the beach there. And uh, that's where their bus pulled in, and they were running late. And we were sitting out in the parking lot waiting for them to get there because we were having a meeting. We were supposed to have a meeting that morning. And for some reason, their buses were running late. And by the time they got there, it was they were flustered and frustrated and didn't want to do anything. So we watched the band, you know, get off the bus. And they walked into the hotel. And their road manager came up to us and said, hey, you know, Gene's, Gene's beat. You know, so that that meeting's not going to happen today. But uh, would you guys mind, you know, doing us a big, huge favor and driving Slaughter around to the local rec- uh, radio stations and record stores today? And Slaughter had just, you know, broke out. And, uh, you know, I was huge Vinnie Vincent Invasion fan. So I was like, basically, this is Vinnie Vincent Invasion, but with a different, you know, drummer and guitar player. And I... Uh, so we took them around and we went to like i think it was wqid and a lot of the gulf coast uh radio stations and they did their interviews and stuff and we dropped them back off at the royal d'aubreville and he uh the road manager came out and said listen uh we'll, we'll just have to you know reschedule all this stuff but here's tickets and passes to the show so you guys are welcome. You're our guests. You got backstage passes. You can do whatever. So we showed up later and we went, we were backstage hanging out in the kiss room and, and the guys were back there and Eric Carr was, you know, jumping up and down. He was crazy. And, uh, you know, and the only person we didn't meet that night was Paul is he wasn't, he wasn't feeling good or something if I remember right. And so, uh, I just remember Gene Simmons coming up to me and shaking my hand and I just, I was like, I level with his chest <laughs> and I just remember the chest hair being white. And I was like, Oh my God, you know, cause his hair on his head was black as night. And I was like, Oh my goodness, really? This guy's old, you know? And, and I was, you know, I was like 19, maybe 20. I don't even think I was 20 yet. And so I'm looking at this guy that was my, you know, hero, one of my heroes. And I'm seeing that, you know, he's not inhuman. He's actually just a regular dude, you know, that can get old and have gray hair and he's aging. And he probably was probably, I would think, well, he would have been in his 40s, I think, Hmm. you know, because I went to his 50th birthday party out here. So, yeah, he would have been either in his late 30s, early 40s. So. It was just funny, but it, it slapped me in the face, and and because you know we meet our heroes, and we're like, oh my goodness, they're they're like inhuman, they're they're like superheroes, and that day I, I realized that they're just men, you know, they're just people like we are, and they get older, and they have ailments, and they age, you know. But it was it was a, it was a, it was an eye opener for me. I was like, oh my God, the demon's old. (laughs) Shit. Well, it's kind of cool. You got to like have a peek behind the curtain like that. It was cool. And then I think we got a call like a week later or something. And basically they blew us off. And we kind of came to the conclusion that I I think that it was more him checking out the name because Wicked Jester and Wicked Lester was so close. 
and I think that he was probably looking, you know, cause he's, he's into copywriting and all this stuff and we had copywritten the name. So he probably did a little research and realized, Oh, well, you know, I can't really do anything, you know, and basically make them stop using this name or I don't really know what his intentions were, yeah. but it didn't work out. And, but it was cool. It was a cool story, but you know, that's, that's basically my whole life. It's been a bunch of cool stories. <laughs> Just, that's about it. <laughs> it's kind of like Josh's thing with the uh, six bucks too. Who else, who else has those stories? So I think it's yeah. something to kind of be proud of. Yeah. I remember Gene came to best of sevens. Uh, we did a showcase at third encore with Denny and uh, Gene came to the, came to the, the showcase and uh, hit on my wife. And my, my wife was like, Hey, you know, that's, that's my husband up there. And he, it didn't seem to bother him. It's like, he didn't really, really care. But uh, at the end of the show, he was asked because Ragman was kind of acting as our manager at the time. And he talked to Gene and was like, Hey, so what it, what would, you know, what do you think of the band? And he said, the lead singer is a, is a star. He should fire the rest of the band. <laughs> and that, and that's been, a, that's been a quote I've used a lot, you know, on my promo because it was, it was just funny. And of course, you know, I didn't take his advice because, you know, we in, ended up going on for a couple of years after that, but, but it was just funny. That was, that was his advice. <laughs> but he did, you know, he gave me kind of a compliment, you know, but basically told me my band sucked, which, you know, I didn't think they did. And we were all like best friends. So, I mean, that was kind of insulting, you yeah. know, but, but that's Gene, you know, he, he doesn't pull punches and out of all of them, I think he's the most real. And I mean, I, I have respect for the guy, you know, out of, out of all of them, he's probably the, the one that I have the most respect for. So. I'm kind of on board with that now too over the years because at first it would be like, okay, what's Gene saying now? But I mean, if if people weren't going to him for interviews, then it's like people just trying to make headlines or something. I feel like. Yeah, they do, and, and they're and trying to get just, like clicks. Exactly. You know, it's kind of like I, I did a an interview a while back, like a week or two ago, and they were trying to get me to say something bad about you know Mark you know, the, the old singer for Bullet Boys. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. You're not going to bait me into that because, you know, I really don't have any, I don't know the guy, you know, Mick and Jimmy and Lonnie's history. It's not mine, you know, so I really don't have a beef with the guy. So yeah, for right. you to kind of, kind of gel me and try to get me to say something, you know, bad about somebody I really don't know, that's, that to me was kind of, you know, cheap. And, but that's what, people do they want they want something that they can use as a headline like you said and you know look at look at you know blabbermouth or sleaze rocks you know <laughs> sleaze rocks picked i i like this was when skid row you know announced their singer in, in vegas and and i was like man this guy floored me he was awesome and i was like yeah i had a you know i i actually was in the running and auditioned for them after tony Hardell, harnell quit and uh, I I did a bunch of like live video, you know, stuff from my studio, singing, you know, the 18 Life and Slave to the Grind and all this stuff. And then they would send me these songs, and I was in constant contact with their drummer. And 
because he's he's the guy that does most of the business but what was funny was all i did was comment on on a facebook post saying hey you know this guy kicks ass you know when they were looking at me you know this guy definitely is the real deal way better than i could have ever done and they picked the right guy they finally got the right guy that's all i said and all of a sudden you know there there's an article about me almost being in skid row and just all the shit and it's like what the fuck all i was doing was giving this guy a compliment because i think he's doing a great job and i think that skid row i'm proud that they got a guy that you know can cover this shit because you know the more i more i tried you know i could get close but sebastian on those records was a he's a monster you know and this kid is actually kicking ass and doing it justice and for once, you know, so it was just funny, but you know, I say one little thing and it turns into a a headline that people pick up and they make their own stories about. So it's like, okay, (laughs) (laughs) well, you're in the press. So that's, you know, you got to be that way too. You're going to have to, you know, make some shit up about me or, (laughs) or Josh or, or Denny or somebody. And I'm not trying to get dirt. I'm just a fan. So, no, and and that's that's the way you know journalists and and podcasters that that's the way they should be. I mean, I understand why they want to you know sensationalize things, but at the same time, I mean, if you can't, you know, I can. I, I'm talking to you like we've known each other forever, you know, because you make people comfortable. But if you you know if you break that trust with people, you know, you're not going to get the candid interviews you're not going to get the the cool nuggets that you're looking for you know oh well because they're not going to trust you anymore they're going to be like oh this guy's just looking for a headline and yeah. you know he's going to either you know twist my words or he's going to take it out of context just to get you know new subscribers or, or whatever but maybe i'll make a headline out of the kiss blood thing <laughs> i'm i'm serious look that up look that up and mm. and you'll probably find what what i have known for a long time <laughs> that it's all bullshit. Like half the shit Kiss does is fucking bullshit, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I mean they're like superheroes. So they are. They're still my superheroes, and you know, I still, you know, they've been releasing all these found footage stuff that they've released over the last week. Like from they they think it's actually from the Alive One. Oh, wow. But it's a video and stuff, and it just came out. And I would have thought after all these years that I've seen everything that, that could be in a vault or anything. But these things are still coming out. And when I see them, I, I turn into that, you know, that little eight-year-old in Pekin, Illinois that, you know, just was like drawing the KISS logo all over his, you know, his walls and his notebooks and, you know, wanting to be Peter Chris and, so it's it's pretty cool to be, you know, I'm 53 now, and I think I, I discovered them in 70, late 74. So, I mean, it's been it's been a wild ride, you know. Yeah. Dang. And working for them, and you know, having having the uh, the back and forth, and and the things that have happened that, you know, I I, I could never believe you know, as an eight-year-old kid that, you know, I would have had the opportunities that I've had, you know, with those guys, you know. 
So it's it's been pretty cool. And the fact that, you know, not only me, but, you know, Denny was a huge KISS fan. And the fact that he got those opportunities and that, you know, a lot of my friends and brothers and stuff all, you know, they they got a little piece of that too, you know, and I think that that's awesome. Oh, yeah. I wanted to talk to you uh, tonight about your album too, not just uh, KISS. I guess record. Oh, you mean the hot summers self-titled yeah. record that came out yeah. on the 21st of June. <laughs> what well, do you want to know? Well, I want to make headlines. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You said that you had worked on it now off and on for what, going back like nine or 10 years. It's been nine years. It's been so long ago, but you know, we started it and then we kind of fell apart and then Jimmy and I got back together. That morphed into we were doing cheap trick covers. Oh, cool! And and Lonnie came into town. And once Lonnie became involved, I was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm in the Bullet Boys now." Mick came aboard, and after that, we became LDT. And so that took a, the hot summers. At that point, was basically just kind of null and void. At that time, it just kind of sitting on the shelf. And then uh, then LDT kind of, you know, at least my part of LDT fell apart when I had my surgery and that kind of fell apart. And then after, I think, a year or so, you know, we, we came into contact again and he had some new ideas. So we started working on those and it's just been a progression and like half the record literally has been written in the last year, you know. And a lot of the old songs, we haven't. We probably have about twelve or fifteen songs that are done that didn't make the record, and not because they weren't great songs, but it was just like we we have to, you know, we have to pick you know a good ten and just let's go with it. We have to get this out. So pull the trigger. But yeah, yeah, we had to, and we we you know these have been mixed different times by different people. Like there was a time, you know way back where some of these songs were actually uh michael saint leon that that does a lot of the former stuff and and the great affairs you know their their producer guy in nashville he actually produced some of this stuff at first but it just i'm glad that it didn't come out then because mick is uh he's kind of like a composer and he layers things and most most producers, you know, they're not going to take the time to get those nuances and they're not going to hear everything that he knows that he's put in there, you know, and I think he did a phenomenal job and he spent hours and hours and hours and believe me, I was frustrated because I was like, God, I just want to get this fucker done. But, you know, it, it had to, it had this kind of uh, simmer a little bit and, but I'm, I'm really proud of it. We've had Jimmy DeAnda played on probably a little, I think he probably played half of it or just over half of it. He played the drums on it. So it's like half of Bullet Boys on a lot of the tracks. And then we used uh, Brandon, which is, uh, he was the drummer for Save Ferris out here, like a punk pop band that was... I think they predated uh, No Doubt as far as they were kind of that with the chick singer from Orange County. Oh, I've heard that and, name before, uh, um, the band. Yeah, they, they have they have records out. His name's Brandon Dickert, and he's 
he's a phenomenal drummer. And then we had Tony Franklin from The Firm and Blue Murder. He played bass on one song. Oh, damn. Which, which to me, when Mick and I put this song together called Safer, we actually, that was one of the first songs that we did, you know, about nine years ago. And uh, at the end, it, it kind of changes. It goes to a different part. And I kept going, this is kind of like our jelly roll, you know, from Blue Murder. This is kind of like jelly roll. It, 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 at, by the end, it's a different song. You know, it kind of goes from one extreme to another. And just the fact that, that Tony plays on it, you know, because that's you know, my, my vision, you know. And what's crazy is it was mixed vision, too. So to have, you know, that fretless bass on there and have Tony play on it was was not only awesome, but an honor. I mean, this is a guy that's played in bands with Jimmy Page, you know, and and with, you know, John Sykes, you know, some of the greatest guitar players, I think, that have ever walked the planet. And, you know, that guy's, and he's the nicest guy ever, too. So that, that helps, too. But, and everything else basically was done, you know, Mick played bass on, on everything else. You know, I played a little guitar, some acoustic guitar, played some keyboards. Mick played, you know, pretty much everything else. And we did vocals back and forth from my my house and my studio here and in Burbank and his place. And, you know, so we swapped files sometimes, especially with the pandemic going on. And But, uh, you know, we, we got it done, and I couldn't be happier. Oh, cool. Because, yeah, I was going to ask if this was something where you guys had to do everything over the Internet and, like, send uh, files back and forth. Well, some of it and some of it not. I mean, there was a lot of times that we actually sat in the same room and, and, you know, we threw ideas at each other and how about this or how about this? And, you know, we were there. But, you know, as far as but but you're right, a lot of it was file swapping because even, you know, nine years ago, you know, we didn't live in the same vicinity. You know, Mick lived up north at the time and so there was, I, I would have to drive up there and, you know, and back then there wasn't a lot of file swapping because I didn't really have the right equipment at the time. But uh, there was a little bit of file swapping as far as like drum parts and Jimmy being, you know, in the Reseda area and he would send, you know, stuff up to Mick and, you know, things like that. But since the pandemic, you know, I've, I've got the right gear for vocals here so I can basically mimic what I could do his at his place without, you know, having to bother him and I can do it at my convenience. So it, it makes it a little easier. Other than uh, Safer, do you have any <clears throat> on the album that really stand out to you? I still love Last One, To Cry. I think that song just is its one of my favorite songs that I've ever been a part of. I love that. I love... I love batshit crazy, which is called <laughs> you make me because, you know, we, we figured if we named it batshit crazy, even if with an edit, we would never get any airplay. So, so we changed it to you make me BSC. Yeah. <laughs> I really like, I like that. And playing that live is fun. Uh, everything was the last song that we did. And what was funny is I, I was over at mix and, uh, I had an acoustic guitar and I, I, I just play and just, you know, I suck at guitar, but I, I'm just banging on this guitar. And, and 
we're we're done with the record at this point you know he was just doing final mixes and we were going over a couple of little changes here and there and then i was like dude i've i've got this this chorus and i played him this chorus and literally he recorded it and i went home and i think by like nine ten o'clock that night i get i get a message saying hey man check your email i just sent you a rough and i'm like what what the fuck a rough of what <laughs> and he had basically written you know the rest of the music to the whole song and it was like i was like oh my gosh this is awesome so then i i wrote the lyrics and got the rest of the song all together and it was only a matter of you know a couple of days and we had a brand new song and at that point that's when i realized that i couldn't show him anything more because you know every time we wrote something together it, it seemed to be better than what we had and i just i think we both saw that this would have been a never-ending record that we just would have kept writing stuff and saying well this got to make the record this has got to make the record and it'd be, you know, we'd be talking about putting out a record in like 2030, you know, or something because we'd never be done. So we, we consciously actually agreed to not share any ideas, you know, until we got the record done because it was, he's a very creative guy and, you know, we're working on the live set right now because we we're playing the monsters on the mountain. Yeah. Yeah. On I think it's the twenty first of August I think yeah in uh, Tennessee yeah it's a Sunday and we play earlier in the day because you know but I the people that we're playing with that day I think Michael Sweet goes on after us and Night Ranger is the headliner and I think uh, Brother Kane's playing that day and oh yeah it's it's a hell of a lineup and just to be a part of it is awesome and but it's it, it should be really cool and. We got two cats that are playing with us and you know it's 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 doing well rehearsals are going really good but it's you know it's it's trying because you know these these songs aren't easy and we're we're trying to you know go out there as a as a real raw rock band that's you know not playing to tracks and we're trying to you know do it old school and you know it's it's hard because it'd be so easy just to hit a, a button and have everything triggered but yeah we're we're actually trying to make it happen with four individuals on stage so we'll see how it goes you know at this point that's where we're at but i mean hopefully it goes well which i think it will it's it's actually fun and we're gonna we're gonna surprise some people and play some songs you know that you know may or may not be a part of mixed past you know i'll just say that and uh so we're going to have fun, and there'll be something for everybody, I think. Oh, awesome. Sounds like you guys might end up being the talk of the of the Sunday lineup then. That would be cool, yeah. you know. I think that, you know, we've we've been doing this for a long time, and I think people have, you know, we're tired of hearing, oh, the record's going to come out next month, or this year, it's coming out this year. And, you know, after you hear that for nine years, you know, there's probably people that are like, okay, I'll believe it when I see it. And then when it came out, it was like, you know, here it is. It's like, oh, my gosh, it really happened, you know. <laughs> and I think the same when we play live. It'll be, 
because Mick is a monster. I mean, he's a guitar hero, and uh, he's probably one of the most underrated guitar players from that era. But he's not only a great player, he's he's a great songwriter, you know, and he's more of a maestro kind of, you know, mm-hmm. guy that puts parts together. And I mean, it's it's funny because I'm I'm having to play guitar and learn a lot of these songs, and I'm not a good guitar player, and I'm like. I need to go get lessons, you know, <laughs> like I actually need lessons to play our songs. It's it's crazy because he's, he's just that good and he doesn't even try. It's just like, he's so unconventional, you know, nothing is just three chords. It's, it's like, you know, a bend into a chord or a, it's just, it's, it's just, it's really cool, but it's, it's rough on somebody like me that sucks. So, <laughs> So if you know a good guitar teacher, you know, let me know because I might need to Skype some people to get this shit down. <laughs> I don't know. You seem to know more people than I do. I don't know. You're you're a big podcaster now. <laughs> you know, you you got Butch Walker listening to your podcast. I oh think yeah, you're doing all right. You're doing all right, bro. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. I think it was a one-time thing though, but it was only one time that Gene Simmons told me that I was a star and I should fire my band. Oh. <laughs> and, I, and I still use that. So, and that was twenty some years ago. So, why not use what you can, buddy? Yeah, I think that's <laughs> so a cool ahead. story with your last one to cry. How you kind of did it at the end because it kind of sounds like one of those uh, stories you hear all the time about classic albums. Like, like they almost banged out the last one real quick, and it becomes like the uh, big hit. Like Paranoid, I think comes to mind. Right, like that's happened a lot. Everything was the song that uh, was the last one we did, and that was the one where I came up with the chorus. But, but yeah, last one was done in the last couple years, and everything, and you know, the the breakout is uh, a song called "Rearview" on there that Mick wrote, and uh, I I I was I was always a fan of it, I guess, but. I don't think I ever really truly appreciated until it was it was finished and mixed and that actually is like to me the breakout you know hit on the record to me and uh so there's so there's so much I mean there's songs on this record that I I tried to you know kind of channel a little C Perry in there's stuff that I tried to channel some Robin Zander yeah, I did hear and, a little bit of journey on that first track. I was like, man, this sounds like it's somebody opened up a time capsule and found like a, a song from '86. That's it too, because Mick was, you know, Mick was in King Cobra, you know, back in the early '80s, you know, and uh, I always liked their their second record better than their first record that was the heavier one, but their more poppy record, Thrill of a Lifetime, came out. You guys even covered that uh, second time around, like acoustic. That almost made the record. I was hoping and it would. Not not an acoustic version, but an actual version, which still may get done. I mean, there's so much fun stuff. I mean, Mick and I have recorded, you know, over the years. Like literally, we've we've done a bread song. We we did uh, a cheap trick song. We Christopher Cross song. We, oh wow! We've done. We have. We we probably have a probably about five to ten songs that are just covers of of you know music that we we like that you know we could probably take a good couple days and finish and 
we could have a cover record too. And that's on top of the, you know, the 15, 20 songs that we have just sitting in a vault somewhere, you know, on a hard drive that, that are finished and just need to be, you know, polished up. So we just love what we're doing. And, you know, Mick is, you know, my partner in this and I haven't felt like I've had, you know, that type of kinship with someone since, you know, best of seven with Denny, Denny and I were, were very close and we, wrote everything and you know we when we weren't writing together we wrote separately but we knew where the other one was going and with mick i i feel you know something that i haven't had in a long time since denny and uh to me that that makes all the difference in the world because it's it's almost like a brotherhood and i know where he's going and and he knows where i'm going so it just works so well and you know with all of his experiences and you know, his, his actual, you know, he made it to the dance. That guy was a rock star for a while. And, but he's so humble and he treats me as an equal, you know, which is, is awesome. You know, I don't get ego from him. And we, we literally just, you know, hang out. We're friends and, you know, kind of like brothers. And it's, it's a great relationship. And I hope it continues for years to come. I mean, we've got nine years under our belt now, and we've been through a lot of a lot of bad things that could have destroyed a a, a lesser friendship. And uh, we've gotten through it every time, and we've just gotten stronger as our relationship, you know, musically and personally. So I, I'm a lucky man, you know. I've I've been a part of a lot of cool things, and this record, you know, is one of my my proudest moments. I'm very proud of this record. I, I love the songs. I don't think there's one song that I that I don't like, you know, and you usually can't say that. Usually there's always, you know, ah, that one's a dog or but even the songs that I thought lesser than, you know, as I've listened to them in context, because you because they've been sequenced for a reason. And when you listen to it, you need to listen to the the album as it's sequenced, you know, from everything all to all to the end, you know. And uh, you know, it, it takes you on a ride. And we always said that it's 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 a cruising around, you know, getting in your car and turn the stereo up and and cruising your car, you know. It's it's one of those kind of records that's just, you know, it it does take you back. And like you said, it. It sounds like a time capsule in places where, you know, it was a simpler, better, you know, a better time, you know. You know, kids were kids and fun was fun and, you know, and you just, music mattered. You know, even even the cover of our record, it, it's, if you've seen the artwork, it's a, it's like a vintage TV sitting there, very retro 70s. Oh, yeah. And the TV's off and there's a reason why that TV's off because the statement was, you know, now everybody can bring a TV show or their Netflix with them anywhere they go on their phone. Right. But back in the seventies and the eighties and, and even most of the nineties, you couldn't do that. You could, you couldn't take your, 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 you couldn't watch TV, you know, in your car or whatever. So, the only thing that was mobile was music. So 
when you left to go to the beach or you left to, you know, to hang out with your friends or whatever, you would bring your albums or you'd bring your CDs or you'd bring cassettes or whatever. And that was your, that was your mobile entertainment. And I think that today kids just don't understand that, that music was so important to us as kids and it's really taken for granted now. And, but having that TV off, it, Basically, the way I, I wanted it, it stood for there's nobody watching that TV. They're gone. The kids are, are away. They're away playing. They're listening to music, and they're having a good time. And that's that's kind of what the album you know, means to me, and that's what the cover means. It, it's. I think that's a good way to sum up that record and even the cover. Wait till you see the whole, the whole cover. Chuck Murphy, which... You probably know through Denny too, or have at least heard his name. He actually oh, yeah, uh, yeah. did the art. He did the artwork for me. Everything, everything is very retro, <clears throat> because we. I wanted to bring people, and Mick and I, you know, we consciously, we want people when they listen to this, we want them to have the state of mind that we're trying to present. You know, we we don't want you to make up your own mind what this record is for you. We would like to say, okay close your eyes, you know, pretend you're, you know, in your car, you're, you're driving down, you know, Pacific coast highway with, you know, the, the, the top down and you're listening to this music, you know, this is the, this is the wind in your hair music. And I, I honestly believe that are, are we changing the world? You know, no, nothing, nothing on this record is anything that you probably haven't heard before, but a lot of it people have not heard in a long while. And I think that we need to be injected sometimes with a, with a flavor of the past and things that make us smile again. The eighties were so fun. You know, anybody that lived in the eighties will tell you that it was messed up at times, but I mean, it'll never happen again. You know, <laughs> Do me a favor sometime, turn on, turn on like the, the grunge channel on, on Sirius XM and drive about 10 miles. I think it's like lithium. Yeah. Yeah. That, that 10 miles will feel like 20. <laughs> now, now do the same thing and go to hair nation and listen to poison and all these bands that, you know, were, you know, called cheese and all this stuff or, or labeled as hair metal. Listen to 10 minutes of that. And I guarantee you, that you'll be to your destination before you change that channel and it'll keep you smiling and singing along the whole time. And you can't say that. I mean, I'm not saying that Soundgarden, you know, I think Chris Cornell is one of the greatest singers that's ever lived, but their music, you know, was pretty serious and I've never really been a serious guy. I like, I like to have fun and I love music that just moves you to smile and, and feel something, you know, and not just be negative like a black cloud. And that's where I think our, our CD getting back to that is it, it brings us back to a time where, you know, people were happy, happier and smiling. And if you can just bring people back to that time, even for five or 10 minutes listening to our CD, then we've done our, we've done our job, you know, 
because that's all we want is to bring happiness and people to appreciate music again. And it's it's been far too long, I think. And you're right. I guess those Hair Nation bands that you mentioned, they're like they're like headlining uh, stadiums now. And there's a reason why they can do that is because, I mean, you hear pour some sugar on me or a photograph or Dr. Feelgood or, you know, nothing but a good time or whatever. I mean, how can you not, you know, you, you gotta, you've just gotta like hit the gas and roll down the windows and, and jam out, you know? And I don't think that we're completely a hair band kind of sounding, you know, band. There's elements of that. It sounds kind of like know? a melting pot more. It, it is. And, and we've taken some from, cause Mick is, you know, Mick is not one of those guys at all. He's not a, uh, a glamster. He's, He's more into a lot of the, you know, 70s guitar players and, and bands. And, you know, he likes ELP and things like that that are very progressive, oh, you wow. know. And which was weird because, you know, when I met him, you know, I knew him as the guy that was in, you know, King Cobra and the Bullet Boys. But it, once you get to know him, you understand why he has such a uh, a unique style. It's because he didn't grow up listening to you know, just the same old run-of-the-mill guys that everybody, you know, the Hendrixes and blah, blah, blah. He listened to all of them, but he was always from more of a kind of like a, a smarter school of guitar players, you know? Yeah. That were more into theory and, and pressing, you know, the Zappas and stuff. That's that's kind of where he gets his style from. Yeah, because you even told me too. I just thought of this: like, I need to go back and re-listen to the Hot Summers, like with good um, headphones on, to kind of pick up all of the nuances. No, it was nice because uh, I sent Denny a copy of it before it, it was uh, before it was released, and just I, I, you know, I always he's always really hard on me, and and I get it, and I but I always I trust him because he, you know. I respect him as, as a songwriter and as a musician and, and as a brother. And, you know, when he's, he listened to it and he was like, well, there's stuff I like and there's stuff I don't like, you know? And I was like, okay, well that's, you know, that's Denny. And then we released it and he, he texted me that morning and he was like, oh my goodness, you know, I listened to it, you know, through a good set of cans today. And he goes, man, Mick did some awesome stuff, you know, stuff that I missed. And, you know, he, it was like a whole different world, you know, so it, it, it really is. It needs to be heard, you know, correctly because uh, Mick spent literally hours of his life, you know, making every little detail, you know, where he wanted it and where he wanted people to hear it and, with headphones, you'll hear all kinds of things. There's hard pans that, that haven't really been used since the old Van Halen days, oh, wow. you know, where things are in the right channel and things are completely on the left channel and, you know, things that, that people haven't literally done since, you know, 78, 79. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of throwback here and, and a lot of knowledge from different time periods have been put into this and, a lot of them are subtle. Some of them are a little bit more out there, but it's overall, I think it's enjoyable and I'm very proud of it. And I just want people to hear it, you know, and listen to it and 
listen to it again and find a new favorite song and that's what I keep doing. I keep finding a, a new favorite song every week. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I might be a little biased. I don't know. <laughs> my my wife says she likes it too. So, <laughs> and you were listening to it what at the airport singing? Yeah, I was doing that out loud with the headphones on. I didn't even realize <laughs> I was doing that. I was flying because I'm I'm I also sing in in a uh, a Journey tribute band out of Denver now. And uh, they fly me in for shows. And I literally was at the airport flying into Denver. And I, 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 I don't know. I Usually, I, you know, you catch yourself before you do something dumb. But <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I, I literally, I, I was singing along. And I forgot what song. And I was singing along with it out loud. And I don't know if it was, if I was good or not. It was just... I was just singing along with it, and next thing I know, I looked around, and there were people looking at me, and I was like, oh, shit, that's not in my head anymore. I'm really, I'm singing. So I was like, oh, shit. So I was kind of quiet the rest of the, the rest of the flight, but. I actually did something like that at work, oh, man, like months ago, because I had never listened to Anthrax before, but Brent wanted to do an Anthrax episode, so I made a playlist and stuff and was listening to stuff at work, and you can only have one earbud in is what they allow, but I would put two in sometimes. And I walked right. away to go to the bathroom real quick, and I was just in the zone, like, listening to some Anthrax song and went into the bathroom real quick, and I have this a song blasting in my ears, and all of a sudden I hear, like, knocking, and the a cleaning lady's like, housekeeping, housekeeping. So I didn't even realize that she was like, I have music, okay. and she's yelling over the music. That is awesome. <laughs> I was like, oops. What Anthrax were you listening to? Was it like a greatest hits or were you listening to a specific song? I think I was at the time I was really getting into uh, the John Bush stuff in the late 90s. It was almost kind of like new metal sounding, but it was it was just kind of different. Something I hadn't heard before. Yeah, I loved his his voice was amazing. And I loved only and I thought that record was great. But I'm one of the weird ones also that think that John Karabi's Motley Crue record is the best Motley Crue record. So um, I wouldn't argue with that. I love that record. The production on that is just so. Every time I hear it, it just fucking floors me. I'm like, it's so good, <laughs> and and they give it they give it no love now. It's like, it's like they act like it never even happened half the time. And it's like, gosh, man, I get it, but man, what a waste. Yeah. Those songs were fucking. Tommy was on fire on those songs. Well, thanks for talking to me uh, tonight about the hot summers. And kiss stories and all your history. Well, hopefully, you, hopefully you get well too. I mean, hopefully it's just a little cold. I know things are going around and stuff, but yeah, hopefully it's, it's just the cold and you start to feel better. Just take some vitamin D, vitamin C, some zinc, and, and tell even, tell everybody else back in Illinois that I said hello back there, and I'll be seeing them soon. Listen to the record. I think thehotsummers.com will be up soon. I think right now it's parked. You can reach us on Facebook. The CD is like a six fold-out CD, like one of those fold-out cardboard oh, really? things. Oh, cool, so it's cool. it's like a six-panel. It's pretty badass, and uh, I think I think people will be happy with that. And we got this show coming up, like I said, in Tennessee. You know, we have shows after that, but we haven't announced them yet. We're just kind of getting through this one. And kind of 
feeling things out, you know. I guess one thing at a time. One thing at a time and, you know, and by doing all this stuff ourselves also, you know, it's, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot for uh, basically two or three people to do. And, but we're doing it. And so that's why things sometimes take a little longer. But we've, we've learned that in the long run, it, it actually works out better. You know, to be more in control of our, our destiny makes more sense than putting it in the hands of somebody that could give a shit, you know? Oh, for sure. So, yeah. so it works for me. But I will let you go. Congratulations on your, uh, your podcast. Tell Brent I said, hey. Tonight